few years ago, uh, we took our 40th anniversary trip to the Grand Canyon, and it had been about 30 years since I was there, and I'd never been to the, the main visitor area where the, where the canyon is. We had stopped at some edge of it on the way to California years ago with the kids, and it was snowing and blowing, so we didn't stay very long and didn't have a chance to really tour much. But we did it a little different this year. We took the train, drove up, we flew into Phoenix and drove up to Williams and took the train from there up into the canyon. And uh, it was an interesting trip. It was quite flat and rolling on the way up, nothing like it got when it was up to the canyon when you got up there and saw what it was like. But uh, once we came out of the, the, big, the large trees that were there fairly close to the canyon on the train and got to the rim and were able to get over behind the buildings, and actually see the whole canyon, you know, firsthand, it was quite breathtaking, quite beautiful. It was, it was something that I hadn't really fathomed, you know, seeing it in pictures and on TV, it just isn't the same. When you're standing there and you're looking down, you know, literally right in front of you, almost a mile deep, it gets your attention in a hurry. And I was, I was curious as to how, how big the canyon is. We, we did a lot of things while we were there. We even took a, a trip up the uh, eastern end of it, clear up the river, before the canyon even starts, which was quite interesting. But the canyon is about 277 miles long. That, that's hard to comprehend. That's like three trips to Dallas. <laughs> and that's, a, that's a long way. <clears throat> and it's up to 18 miles wide in some places. And that doesn't seem like that, but but I guess it is, that's what they say it is. And it's over a mile deep. So it gets, it gets your attention. And one of the days we were there, we were there about three days, I believe it was, and, and my wife decided she wanted to do a little hiking. I'm, I'm not a hiker, I can barely walk at times, so I knew better than to try to go down some of these trails. Uh, she went down about a half mile and came back up because she said it was quite strenuous and dangerous. But while, while she was hiking down, I was just sitting there like a good boy on the rim on the ledge <laughs> watching and thinking and I I got to thinking I thought you know there's there's people that have died here before they've actually died visiting this canyon and I did a little research and looking and since 1890 there have been over 700 people killed there in the canyon they have approximately 12 deaths a year two or three from falling uh, some from suicide, obviously, some from heat exhaustion, some from dehydration, and some from medical issues, heart attacks, whatever. That's 12 people a year, though. But what gets your attention are the, the ones that are, are dying from falling, two or three of them. And while I was sitting there on the, the rim looking and thinking and, and knowing there had been people killed, I asked our tour guide, you know, what caused and what was the reason for some of the falls? Because there are signs there that tell you don't, don't do certain things. There's not a lot of handrails, obviously, up there because it's for the beauty of it. And, I mean, if you're going to do any hiking, you better be in good shape to do it. You don't want to take any chances. But he said a lot of people jumping around on the rocks where they shouldn't be slip and fall. Um, there are narrow trails that they have up there. And I think a couple years ago, the last year or two, there was a lady, you may have heard about it, she had tried to allow some people to pass on one of the trails, and so she moved over to the edge mm -hmm. to let them pass and slipped off and fell and died. Mm -hmm. It's that, that treacherous. And he also said, believe it or not, and this is hard to believe, he said people taking pictures 
And I said, well, how does, how does that happen? I knew what he was going to say, but I just didn't know if I was going to believe it. He said, they're taking pictures, and they're telling people to back up a little more, back up a little more, because they're wanting to get everything into the picture of the photograph. And he said, they, through carelessness and not paying attention, they go too far, and they start to slip or slide, and before you know it, you know, they're over the edge. That's amazing. That's amazing to, to, to have somebody tell you to back up more, you know, while they're taking pictures. But that's apparently, you know, what happens. Well, the thing that got my attention was we are standing too close to the edge of the cliff. And when you're standing that close, you need to be very, very careful and be aware of what's going on, what's taking place. You know, we are standing too close to the edge of the cliff in our lives today, and, it, and, and there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from history and from life about what happens when you're standing cl too close to the edge. You know, we too often want to put ourselves at risk for some reason in life. I don't know why that is, but that's just the way people are. You know, it seems like people these last, I don't know, two or three decades have been more prone to this, but everybody's looking for a new high a new experience, whether it be skydiving or, or mountain climbing or, or climbing rock walls or, or diving or, or whatever. It just people out there are looking for a new experience and a new high. And there are shows on TV where they've, uh, I saw one one time where they were trying to go as low as they could before they opened their parachute to get a new experience. Well, you know, that's, <laughs> I don't know, that's a little bit foolish to me. I mean, you, you take a chance on losing your life. But we, we put ourselves at risk so often and as a nation today we are putting ourselves at a risk because as, as a people as a nation we are putting ourselves in a position to really allow some things to happen and to take place how many of you are, are concerned about where headed as where we are headed as a people and as a nation i am the reason i'm concerned is because i live here and what happens to this nation, what happens around us, is going to happen to us. You know, we, we are really so good, it seems like, of so many things in inventions, in creativity, in technology. We have done all sorts of things. We have, we have been first and foremost throughout the world. And yet we want to be able to do things our own way. And the, one of the first things that we want to do when everything is going our direction, is we want to remove God and throw God out of our lives. And I don't know how young people feel about this. I'd say, I say young people in their lower 20s and below, I don't know if they think about it that much. When we were growing up, you know, God was, was wonderful and great, but when you're younger, you're looking at your life ahead of you, and so I don't think God is on your mind as much as it is when you get older. When you get older towards the end of your life, you tend to think about God a little bit more because you know what lies beyond. Now, granted, the, the other side is a whole lot better than this side, but it's getting there that's the, the problem. What I want to do is, is look at a little bit of history and a little bit of prophecy this morning and to see some of the lessons that were learned in time past that maybe we could go back and read and learn and understand what God says and what God wants us to, to understand and know about him and about his thoughts towards us and towards the people who are guilty of removing God and throwing him out of, of our lives. Can a nation go too far in distancing themselves and removing themselves from God? Sure they can. History shows that, points that out. 
Will there be consequences when that happens? Well, yes, there will. Well, how far is too far? Good question. Have we gotten that, that far at this point in life in our history? I don't believe so, but I believe we're standing there at the edge of the cliff just like looking at the canyon. You see the drop-off. You see the dangers. You see what can happen and what's going to take place if we continue the way we're going because it's going to affect all of us. And then you have to ask yourself the question, what does it take to correct the problem? Because you and I are a part of that, supposed to be, in the lives that we live and the things that we tell other people when they have questions. In many cases, they don't want to hear the answer because we've got the answers. We know what needs to be done. We know what needs to be followed. But we are, are too often criticized because of the answers we give them, especially when it talks about this book right here. You know, this was, now I've heard this so many times the last couple of years, this book is so out of date from some people. It needs to be updated. It, it's so ancient. Well, really, maybe we're going to learn some things today, and maybe some of them, just maybe some of them happen to be listening online. Are you concerned about where we are headed as a people, as a nation? Prosperity often brings neglect. And one of the things that, that bothers me, like I said, is the fact that we have to live in this world and we have to, to suffer the things that we go through. You know, the poor prophet Jeremiah, you know, and all of the prophecies that he gave was concerned. He was a weeping prophet because he went through some of the problems that the, the nation of, of um, Israel and Judah went through. He understood the captivity, especially that of Babylon and going into captivity with, with Judah into Babylon. He experienced that firsthand. You know, I don't want to experience some of the things that God can do to a people that turn their back on him. But just because, you know, we are his people doesn't mean that we won't have to suffer some of those effects. You know, as this new year has approached and is filing in place and we're through the month of January already, I don't know where time goes. I mean, we're less than just about two months from the beginning of the Holy Day season again. Time flies so quickly, it really does. But it seems like these last few years, as each one passes, we seem to be getting further and further away from God and having God as a part of our life. We're really first class at throwing things out, aren't we? You know, we start with God, and then we go through our history and, and things in history, and we seem, seem like this last year we've gotten to the point where we just want to throw this out and throw that out. And, and it really concerns me because... You know, I have children that live in this world just like you do, and I have grandchildren that live in this world like you do. And I wonder sometimes how the grandchildren can keep, keep up with all the changes as quickly as they're coming. Uh, when I was growing up and when you were growing up, it's so much different than the grandchildren today. And the changes that have taken place are just tremendous. And yet they have to adjust to that in life, probably more than what we do, because we're set in our ways and we're a little distance from some of that. Anyway, you know, most people would care less about the topic we're going to be discussing today. They're not going to have the slightest interest with what is happening and what is taking place. They've got their own life to live. They've got things that they want to do in life. And when you go out and if you were trying to discuss this with people or some of your friends and, you know, that live around you, there might be a lot of them that wouldn't even be concerned with it. They're just not concerned with what's happening. They just really don't care. If you would turn over to Hebrews chapter 1, I always 
think this scripture is so important. I just wish people would pay more attention to it. Because you think there would come a point in people's lives where they would begin to listen to common knowledge, to knowledge that is important, knowledge that is, is valid, knowledge that tells us what we need to be doing as people. Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and different manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Very simple statement, very basic statement. You and I believe this. We understand that. We know that. But do you realize how many people look at the Bible as a myth? As just a collection of stories? Of being a book that's out of date? <clears throat> and when you try to discuss it with them seriously, they have this look on their face like, you truly do believe this. You cannot be that stupid. But yeah, I do believe it. I know it, just like you do, and I understand it. I had somebody, over the last couple of years, I've heard this two or three times about the Holy Days. They made the comment, well, the Holy Days, you know, they were just for the Jews. I said, well, no. I said, you're incorrect about that. My Bible says that they were God's appointed festivals. Well, they'd never heard that before. <clears throat> so I gave them the scripture, you know, to, to look it up. And I said, the Holy Days were also for the people of Israel, God's chosen people, of which the Jews were just one tribe. Oh, really? Well, I had never heard that. It's, it's amazing how, how many people don't really know and don't understand, yet they conclude that this book is a myth, that it's just a collection of stories, that it has nothing to do with us today, no relevance whatsoever. But we go on ignoring God and casting him out, and there are examples in here from history of the dangers that happens to people that do that. Isaiah chapter 1. One of the things about the prophets that they have in common is they write about primarily God's people, God's chosen people that were called by him, that were given a set of laws and commandments, they were to be a light to the world. They were to be a shining light for those to see who God was and what God was doing and what God was, was interested in as far as mankind. Their prophecies were not just for Judah and Israel. The prophecies were on a world scene. Prophe prophecies in the book of Isaiah, for instance, talk about not only Jerusalem and Israel, but they also talk about Assyria and Damascus and their capitals and what God was going to do with these people once their evil had gotten to a certain point, once their neglect of him had reached a certain point in time. And so we have to understand that, that people don't, don't realize that even though these, these prophecies are so ancient and so old, there's information here that talks to us through God and through what he's telling mankind through the prophets that he's concerned about things, not just his own people, but the world in general, as we'll see. Isaiah 1, beginning in verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Mahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. <clears throat> For the Lord hath spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people does not consider 
a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger, and they are gone away backwards. Sound familiar? When we throw out the Ten Commandments and throw out God and say that Christians, people who believe in God, are a little weak-minded, they're a little impaired because they need a crutch to get by with in life, I take offense to that. But that's how they look at us because we're not strong enough to do things on our own. Yeah, I agree. I'm not strong enough to do things on my own. I need help, and I need the God of heaven to give me help. He says in verse 5, Why would you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more, and the head, the whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have, been, they have neither been closed, neither been bound up, neither mollified with ointment. He talks about the country and the problems that there are with it. And he says, he, he tells people what needs to be done and what needs to take place. You know, in this time of year, if we were within a couple months of the holy days, we begin to look at ourselves and our own lives and analyze ourselves and, and try to look and begin to understand what we need to do with our own lives, the corrections we need to make to become more like our Savior in our life, in, in the way we live and changing our, ourselves. And yet here in verse 16, God tells through the prophet Isaiah what needs to be done to the people, that they need to take action that they need to think about things. He says, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. People don't want to hear that. They're bent on going their own way. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So the, the solution to the problem is right here. You understand that God is a graceful and a God is a merciful God, willing to forgive, willing to forget. But it takes action on our part to make changes and to do things a little differently than what we continue to do as people. I heard a quote a few years ago by a man by the name of Rabbi Daniel Lappin. You've probably heard of him. He's an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. He's an author and a speaker. I've heard him speak before, but I can't remember exactly where. I think it was in Dallas. But he's the head of the American Alliance of Jews and Christians. And he had a statement that I thought was very, very fitting for what we are talking about today and what, what can happen with a nation and with a people who begin to remove God from their presence. He said, if you sacrifice the discipline and educational foundation of your children for generation after generation, what will the future of your country look like? Very fitting because we know what happened to the people of Israel. They disappeared. They were scattered. No longer heard from again. And you've encountered the same question I have. While well, most people think the Jews are Israel, you know, they, they need to be told that Jews are part of Israel, but Israel was not all Jewish. So that's another thing in history they don't understand. But when you understand prophecy and some of this history and what God did to the people of Israel in taking them to captivity to Assyria, they disappeared. They were gone. 
They're no longer around. They're scattered somewhere. What do we see today in our society compared to, say, and I'm talking to the older crowd right now, 30 or 40 years ago? We see changed values in our society, don't we? Major changes from the belief in God, from religion, people that are against the military, they're against our freedoms, they're against the values that we have as a people. You know, it's affecting our, our entire society. You know, I was, I was wondering, I've heard here recently in, on a several different occasions that church attendance is down, not just for the churches of God, but all over. The church attendance is declining some. Uh, some of that is due to getting old and no long, people are no longer with us, but it also affects the income. It affects a lot of different things throughout the churches. And so I looked, I was curious, do you know that the millennials, this is from 2015, of the millennial generation, 33% have no religious beliefs at all. That's an astounding number of greater percentage than what it was about 10 years before. 33% have no particular religious belief or understanding. That is the next generation. That, that is, well, not the next generation after me, but that's a, a future generation in this country. And if that percentage point has gone up 10 points in the last 10 years, where is it going to be in another 10 years? Is it going to be up from 30 up to 40 or 50? Well, when a country tends to not believe in God, we have some serious problems. Book of Hosea. One of the things we have to watch about and be very careful of are when things are going very well for us. And I, th I think this last year we see things begin to pick up, things begin to make changes. We're becoming, seems like, a fairly prosperous, once again, with unemployment being as low as it is. And it really doesn't matter who's in office, which party. It's just a matter of, of certain things happen, certain things change. But one of the dangers that we've always had as people, not just today but down through history, that when people become prosperous, and things are going well, what happens? You tend to forget about God. You just do. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge or rejected God or rejected his way or his word. I will also reject you that you shall no, be no priest to me, seeing you have forgotten the law of your God. I will also forget your children. You know, God doesn't zap you just because you do something wrong. But over a period of time, things are going to catch up with us and are going to affect us. And I don't want my children, I don't want my grandchildren, I'm assuming we'll have great-grandchildren eventually, we'll get there, or the great-grandchildren to be affected by things that we have done because what we do as a people, as a nation, are going to affect those children. And God will allow things to take place and happen. He says in verse 7, the verse we really need to understand, that people really need to know and memorize, as they were increased, so they sinned against me. And he says that I will turn their glory into shame. You know, I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to take place. Did you ever stop and think about how sin affects people? We're down some things here about it. First of all, sin 
causes severe consequences. For one, that's why we're going to die. The wages of sin is death. We all know that. But it also, sin has consequences, and some of those things are not immediate. You know, the people that are in the news lately with all these scandals and these abuse things that have taken place, it didn't happen all at once, did it? No, but it caught up with them, and they're paying the price. I just read this morning of a, um, a state representative from Arizona that was voted out of office, I think, yesterday, sexual scandal. It's unfortunate. But as it says back in the book of Deuteronomy, your sin will find you out. And believe me, it is finding out a lot of people that have done a lot of things. And you know that what has been revealed and what has come to the forefront is just the beginning. Because we haven't seen anything yet. There are so many, to put it bluntly, men out there that are terrified of what's going to happen because of what they've done in the past that has been made public yet. And the more important you are, the more money you've got, well, that's, you put yourself at risk. Sin has consequences. It truly does. This poor gentleman, I say poor gentleman, the one that was the trainer for all these young ladies in the Olympics, you know, what a disaster. You can't even imagine all of this. But this went on apparently for years. Suddenly, it catches up. And it rightly so should because of things that have happened. Sin enslaves us. It's like an addiction. It's like, it's like gambling on the Internet. It becomes an addiction. You can't leave it alone. I've heard of people like that. It's like, it's like the Internet porn that you hear of. People can't leave it alone. It gets a hold of them. Or shopping. They become so covetous they can't leave it alone. And people get caught up in it. That's just a few of the things that you can get caught up. Sin does enslave us. You know how hard it is to get rid of bad habits that are sin? It's, it takes a long time, doesn't it? You and I are, are proof of that. Our lives, we still have things that we have to get rid of. Patience was mentioned this morning. Believe me, that's something that I have had to deal with all my life. I like to fix the problem and move on. And I like to fix it now. But you can't always do that. You know, patience and the thoughts towards somebody you just don't like, you know, you just can't stand them. You know, you, you've got to learn to, to forgive people. Forgiveness is something that we have to deal with. You know, the, the spirit of the law and the letter of the law are two different things. We can handle the letter of the law fairly well. But it's that spirit of the law. It's that our, our mind, our emotions, and things we have to deal with. It's a lifelong battle. You know, we could turn and read about the Apostle Paul. You know, he was so worried about he was going to become a castaway with what he was, who wrote most of the New Testament and was the light to the Gentiles. He was still struggling with himself before he died. So join the crowd, you know. We're, we're there with him, but we still got a job to do. We all have to answer for our sins. You know, you can't answer for your mate. I can't answer for my mate. We can't answer for our children. I don't know how many, my parents did this. They tried to bail my brother out of trouble time and time and time again. It didn't work. It didn't work. They're all three dead now, so I can talk about it. <laughs> it's unfortunate. But my brother's problems caught up with him. And it's so tragic. 
There's so many things in life that we go through, and we know that for a fact, and we try to explain that to other people to help them avoid the problem, but it doesn't always work. One of the biggest problems with sin is it separates us from God. You know, Jesus experienced that with the Father when the Father left him. You know, Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus accepted all of our sins, God had to remove himself from his presence at that point because God does not dwell in the presence of sin. And that's why God wants us to change our lives, as it says here in the book of Isaiah and Hosea. You know, don't, don't, disip, don't remove God as we become increased and things going well for us. Sin is like a disease. It's like a cancer. And uh, you know that as well as I do. It, it eats away at you. It chips away at your, your emotional structure and your character and weakens us to the point where we give in. We have to battle that all of our lives. And sin doesn't produce anything good, does it? Look at the people that have been successful, the people that have had such a wonderful life, and now their world comes crashing down because of these accusations against them. It's really unfortunate that these people put themselves in that position. You know, when this country was founded, People came here for religious freedom. That was one of the reasons they came. They had faith in God. They, they lived a fairly religious life, maybe a little different than us, but they believed in God. They believed in, in trying to live a Christian life. We became known as a Christian nation. The, the things that take place throughout the world, the charity that takes place is, is nothing, no one is close to what we do as a nation as far as helping people with what we have. We have an abundance that is unheard of down through history, you know, as far as a nation and the things that we are as, as a people. And we've had changes take place. You know, the 60s were, were a, a decade of turmoil, a, a decade of change, major change for us as a people. I remember that quite well. And people began drifting. People began not being too concerned with God. This, the statement was, if it feels good, do it. And one of the statements today that I came across, a little, little different, but same way. It doesn't matter what you do so long as it doesn't hurt others. But that's false, too, because in the end, I put down, it will. It's going to hurt others. These people that have been caught, it hurts, and it's going to continue hurting, but it hurt others. You know, 9-11, tragedy there got our nation's attention. I remember hearing that church attendance picked up I don't know, 30 or 40 percent, but it didn't last but about six to nine months, and then everything began to turn around and go the other direction. That's just the way life is. So what do we have to do? You know, there, there were dangers in the canyon that you could look at, along with the beauty, but you have to be careful of all that. We have a lot of, a lot of beauty in this life. By that, I mean the things that we have, the opportunities that are there, the technology, the travel. I mean, two weekends ago, I was in Tampa, Florida. I went over on Friday, came back on Sunday. Who would have thought of this 2,000 years ago? The travel, flying across the country to preach to people, to see people, to have contact with people. The things that we have in this day and age are, are unbelievable. But yet the first thing we want to do with all these blessings that we have is throw God out of our lives because he's a little ancient. 
a little archaic. At least that's the way some of them are. Isaiah 58, verse 1. This is what our job is, and it's not a pleasant job sometimes. And all we can do is ask God for his spirit to show us how to do it. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, show my people their transgressions in the house of Jacob their sins. People don't want to hear about sins. <laughs> they really don't. But when they get caught, boy, are they sorry. You see the looks on their faces. And I feel for them. I feel for them because I know what they're going to experience in prison or paying back or whatever, whether it be abuse, whether it be corruption, whether it be lying or stealing. You know, if I was, I was thinking last night about the Ten Commandments. If people would just think about the Ten Commandments, I know they're, they're old, go back a long time, not having any other gods before me. You know, that a commandment by itself eliminates a lot of problems in the world. It truly does. People don't become addicts. They become an addict for God, not for drugs or for money or for clothing or for whatever else it is they get in life. You know, the Sabbath day, remember getting keeping it holy. If people would keep the Sabbath, they would focus on God. They would kind of recharge their battery every week. They would kind of have a new direction in life. Every week they would be reminded of the importance of God and who he is and what he's doing. You know, the, the things we have the most problem with in business when it comes to equipment is in August and December. We have dead batteries. Too hot, it's too cold. The batteries on our equipment die. We've had four or five in December because it was so cold. You know, next couple of mornings we couldn't get things started. We have to recharge our batteries spiritually on the Sabbath. That's why we're here each week, to learn about God, to remember God, to focus on God and his word and his way, to have fellowship with one another, to let that iron sharpen iron. You know, we, we, we work together with each other and try and help each other, you know, make things happen, to correct problems. People want God, at least a few people do. A lot of people don't because he's, he's silent. He doesn't do anything, so when we have, what makes it worse is when we have tragedies like the killings in Las Vegas or young, young people going into schools and shooting people, people want to know, where is God? Well, God is still there, and God is very much concerned, but because of God's silence, people lose faith. People want God, but they want God at a distance, and they only want God when we have problems. That's kind of the, the way the world is today and the way people are. We believe in God, but we don't want to have to do anything. We don't want to have any responsibility. I think that's why a lot of people don't want to read this book. Because if you have responsibility, then you're expected to do something with that. Isaiah, chapter 55, page back. God warns us and tells us, he says, Seek you the Lord while he may be found, call you upon him while he is near. Let the wicked, what do people need to do? Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. He will give mercy upon him. He will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. People like to hear that. They need to hear that. God is not going to zap people because they sin. But sin will catch up with you. 
and you'll reap the problems with it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, we live in a time, and I don't have time to turn to some of these scriptures simply because of a time factor, and you know them. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 talks about those that call good evil and evil good, that call light for darkness and darkness for light. That is where we are as a people today. We have determined and we have decided that this is what is right and this is what is wrong. And basically the, the tendency now, the thought today is, there really isn't anything that's wrong. You can do whatever you want. They say God is merciful, God is loving. Yes, he is. But God is also a God of judgment. Isaiah 34. Isaiah 34. That's what people don't understand about God, is that God is a God of judgment. And his silence is because he lets us have freedom. Freedom to accept or freedom to reject the God of heaven. And it's going to be, be that way in the millennium. Once Jesus Christ returns, God's not going to force people to believe his way. God's law will be in effect. The words of this Bible are going to be for everybody to live by and follow. But God's not going to force anybody to live his way. It's going to be up to each of us each of those that are in the kingdom living a physical life after the resurrection. So people have a choice to make. You think they would want to make it now and make it a little bit easier. But that's up to them. Isaiah chapter 34, beginning in verse 1. And notice the content here. This is not just to the Jews. It's not just to Israel. Come near, you nations, to hear and hearken to people let the, let the earth hear and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it, for the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations. All people, not just God's chosen people. And his fury upon all their armies, he hath utterly destroyed them and hath delivered them to the slaughter. He says down here in verse 4, he talks about the heavens being rolled together as a scroll when he returns. He said in verse 5, for my sword shall be bathed in heaven behold it shall come down upon Edomia and upon the people of my curse to judgment God is a God of judgment and God is going to judge the world for the things that take place and the things that happen you know our our ideals our thoughts what we have achieved with our own hands is not that important to God in some ways What's important is whether we still believe and follow him and understand him. And we have to encounter people. I think we encounter a lot of this today over in Isaiah chapter 30 in verse 8. You know, there are a lot of scriptures in, in prophecy and in the history that we could go back and look at that talk about the false pastors, the false prophets, the false teachers that spoke what they thought was right, what they thought was necessary. Uh, in many cases, they spoke what the people wanted to hear. Oh, we've heard that before. You know, people in leadership are real good about that. They, they want to do the things what the people want because that's what's going to give them the power and authority that they have. There's no different today than it was back then. 
just a different time and a different place. People are the same. Isaiah chapter 30, beginning in verse 8. He tells Isaiah, Now go and write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. Well, he put this in a book, didn't he? The book's for us. The book's for people of this day and age, too. He says that this is a rebellious children, rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Oh, really? That sounds like today, doesn't it? Which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceit. Get out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Doesn't that sound like what we're hearing today and seeing today? But yet, who are we? We're just impaired people that need a God and need a crutch to get through life because we are lacking what other people have. Well, such it is, such it is. That's just the way it is. We have to deal with that. We have to deliver a message that most of the world doesn't want to hear, that most of the world thinks is out of date. And in many cases, a lot of Christians um, really wonder about some of these things too. I've, I've encountered three or four people over the last few years that grew up within the churches of God and still wonder if God exists. I, I was kind of surprised by that, but that's kind of the feeling that some of them had. And, you know, in talking with them a little bit, they truly believe that. They really, truly don't know anymore. And I hope that they will change their mind. You know, have they gone too far? Have, have, have they, they got to a point where God no longer cares? Nope. God still cares about them very, very much. Over in Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. I was really surprised by, by some of the people that really wonder and question about the existence of God, but that's just the way life is sometimes. And hopefully they will change their mind because there is a God that does exist and there is a God who is, who is in heaven and who is going to take action eventually and who is going to intervene. And most of these people that don't believe in God and don't know God are going to have an experience like Paul did. Maybe not in this life, but when they stand before the judgment seat, they're going to face the God and the creator of heaven and be able to explain themselves. And the one thing that we can tell them is that uh, God is not going to zap them there either. God is going to give them a chance to come to know him, which is the, one of the things that we have and are able to do as people in explaining God's way is that message of hope that lies beyond for everybody in spite of the way some things are. First, Second Peter chapter 1, here as we conclude in verse 15, he says, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables where we may, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You and I know this is true because these men were eyewitnesses of what took place and what happened. And we have the faith to understand that, the, the gift of faith to know that and to realize 
who we are as a people and what God is doing and what lies beyond. The, the understanding that we have is such a great gift that so many people don't have. Don't take it for granted. I think sometimes we, we might drift a little bit, but for the most part I think we do understand the gift that we have and the knowledge that we have in spite of the persecution we go through in this life. You know, we haven't experienced what some of the New Testament church did, you know, and hopefully we won't. But we have family, we have friends, we have co-workers who look at us as being a little, a little off the page and out of touch with reality. When in, re- when in reality, it's the other way around, and they just don't know that. He says, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also received a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto we do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this, also that prophecy of the scripture is of no private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And you and I understand that, and you and I know that, and you and I have that Holy Spirit to help us through the things we have to go through in life don't we? We know that for a fact. Trying to convey that to other people is very difficult to do. But that's what we're supposed to do. In conclusion, if you would, turn over to the book of Luke, the last chapter, verse 24. Because you and I have a responsibility to tell people how to correct this problem. We have to show them what lies beyond and we've got a big job ahead of us. Luke 24, verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. The history of what was taking place within the world had to be given, and they, he presented it to them. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance, and here's the key, and remission of sins should be preached in his name among, among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. He says, And I behold, and behold, I send you, I send the promise of, of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endowed with the power from on high. So the message we have is the same message that the disciples were supposed to preach and teach. The message of what the prophets were trying to do and trying to shock the people to come to see and understand to get their attention back in ancient times. Repentance? People need to change. People need to make a course correction. People need to charge their batteries and come in contact with God. If they do, they can have forgiveness of their sins. They're not lost, but they're on dangerous ground. They're standing on that edge of the cliff 
like they're at the Grand Canyon looking down a mile deep and knowing what would happen if they were to fall off. That's what we have a responsibility to try to tell people. And then finally, when we do that, what they see and can begin to see is hope for the future in their lives. And with that, maybe, maybe just some of them will make a change and maybe they'll embrace this way of life that you and I understand. And maybe, maybe things will pick up and maybe the, the people of this country, some of them will begin to change their lives and be different. So we've got our hands full. We've got a message that needs to go out because we are standing at the edge of the cliff on dangerous ground. And we want to make sure we don't slip. And that's the message that we have to tell other people. Repentance, forgiveness, and hope. And may God grant us his Holy Spirit to be able to see the best way to do that and to give us the help that we need.